0: I am so happy to be here today. How about you? I'm so happy. God is good, and he's got a hand on our lives. You know, um, Jesus walked into the temple, and he saw money changers and people uh, that were um, taking their relationship with God as a convenience, you know, money changers, uh, the way they worked that was they, you couldn't just give your regular money. If you were coming from a different nation, you couldn't just give your regular money to the temple. You'd have to use temple currency. So, you you know, just like when you go to Mexico, you'd have to change the pesos. So it was a money-making scheme. So the Pharisees, uh, Sadducees, the workers of the temple, they get a little taste. So when you gave a dollar, you'd have to change it. So They'd take a little skim off of it, and they'd they'd give you a certain amount. You know how that works, changing money. And so it was a it was so that people uh, it, it was it was just they went ahead and changed the money for you there as a convenience. And then of course um, they had animals that you know Jesus turned over those you know he cleansed the temple he made a whip and he turned over the the things that had doves in them the little cages and uh, they would have animals in the temple it was also because people were it made a lot of sense because people were coming from a long way and uh, they were supposed to be bringing their first and their best that they had raised they were supposed to be bringing you know the best ox that they had if they were wealthy and if they were not as wealthy they're supposed to bring their best sheep or goat or animal they were supposed to sacrifice their first and their best And then even if you were poor, God made an allowance that you could catch a a dove, like we think of a pigeon. You could catch a dove, you know, use a little snare. If you didn't have any money, you could give something in the temple too, but you'd have to actually go and, and catch something. So when you saw those doves there, that was making God convenient for even poor people. So it was like, you know, God doesn't really have to be first. He just needs to be convenient. You need to serve God, but he doesn't need to cost you something. I love what David said about his offering. He said, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. And for many people, their entire relationship with Jesus is of like, how little can I get by with giving of my life to, to get the blessing on my life? And that was a general attitude that they had. it had dwindled down to people really need, people are busy, they really need a convenient relationship with God and God's going to be pleased with any old offering, so even poor people would come in and say, "Like, I don't have a couple bucks. Give me one of those um, doves there." And and they would ju- they were just going through the motions. They weren't. This is nothing that cost them anything. They would just you know give a little something and buy a poor man's offering and give it. And and they were expecting that God's going to be happy with this. At least I'm showing up. At least I'm doing something. And of course, you know Jesus got upset. That you don't see Jesus getting violent that often, but he did get violent. I mean, he, 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 he braided a whip. You know how it is when you're mad and you're like, I don't want to blow it. I need to think about this for a minute. So let me just braid the whip before I do something crazy. You know, you can imagine him sitting on a mountain thinking like, I'm going to bust somebody. This is over the top. I just need to calm down. But the more he weaved, the more he's like, I'm going to bust somebody. Somebody's going to pay. And, you know, <laughs> and so, and he, the Bible says that they said about him, they quoted the psalm that said, the zeal for your house has eaten me up. So you get the idea that Jesus was eating up with it. And he was like, that's it. That's it. I'm not accepting that. If they think this is going to be good enough, they got another thought coming. So Jesus goes into the temple having no authority to set things in order, but he, except for the authority that came from heaven, and he started turning over these, just birds were flying, and he started whipping. You get the idea that he's accidentally hitting some of the sellers too, you know, like, yes you know, like your mama did when you're on those trips and she would just try to hit anybody. i just, people in the middle generally got hit no matter what was happening in my house. My mom would do a random, you deserved it even if you didn't do anything. <laughs> so you get the feeling like Jesus is just like, just, just started just, I don't know karate, but I know crazy. And he's just like, whack, whack, turning stuff over like oh, I've had it. You know, you ever just pitch a fit sometime and you're like, sorry later? Jesus wasn't even sorry. He was like, this. I'm going to make a mess of this whole thing. And he turned those tables over, and then he said, listen, my house is supposed to be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. I wanted it to be a house of prayer for all nations. I don't accept this, and I'm not playing this. And I'm not going to accept any offer, anything you do. This is what the zeal of God is like. Because love is not just doing the minimum. Love is giving on. Right? And the way Jesus described the offering that he, ex- he accepted, it wasn't just going through the motions and being convenient about it. The, uh, the offering that he described was an offering that said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And no, this is, you know, God doesn't condemn us, but he does challenge us. It's a false religion that says God will never challenge you. It doesn't matter what you do. Well, if you don't get challenged, you're never gonna get better. You know, when you're a teenager, you get challenged in the football field. When you're in school, you get challenged in the classroom. You're in business, you get challenged by the competition. And that's not a wrong thing. That's how you get better. That's how you get the best out of your life. Not being condemned, but being challenged and said, oh, no, 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 I don't accept that. I'm not accepting that. It doesn't mean he's rejecting you. He's saying that right there, where you boiled it down to, I'm just going to give God my leftovers, not going to happen. God, Jesus said, I don't accept that. Now, this is Jesus. And that was still in the Old Testament because it was before the cross, before the resurrection, but the principle still stands that when God looks at the offering, he, see, your body, say it with me, say my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So you have to ask yourself, is it a den of thieves or a house of prayer? Is it full of compromise? Is it full of, you know, God just needs to be happy with whatever I can do. I'm just, I'm slammed right now. Now, this is not to condemn you, make you feel bad. It's to challenge you and say, God has something better. That if you give it all, go all out for God, that you're going to find out God's going all out for you. And if you want God all out for you, you can't be given the offering of convenience. You have to give the offering of sacrifice that says, God is wanting my heart. He's not wanting my attendance. He's not wanting my money. He's wanting my heart. And he deserves it. It's, it's actually the first and greatest commandment. Hear, o Israel, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment because everything else is wrapped up in this. Love God with a passion. Go all out. Just put it all on the line and go. Your experience of this earth needs to be one great offering for Jesus. And that great offering, Jesus described it in one word, prayer. That your house should be called a house of prayer. This house. That of all the thoughts and things that are going on inside, don't let it be full of excuses and, you know, compromises, but let it be all, clean that thing out. Right? We had an encounter one time called Cleansing the Temple. Sometimes you just got to cleanse the temple and say, you know what, that's a compromise, that's a compromise. That right there is a compromise, and that right there's got to go. Sometimes you just got to turn over some stuff that you started accepting in your life, and you have to say, I'm not having that. My house, this temple, is a house of prayer for all nations. This is what, this is the offering that God is asking for. So when we start thinking about uh, praying with power, we need to think about, not you know when it's when it's someone's birthday you don't give them what you want to give them you give them what they want right don't give your wife a chainsaw for christmas because you've been needing one and yours is broken honey i just thought you know <laughs> i saw this was on sale i knew you'd love it because uh, she's going to use it but uh it might be <laughs> you might that was a poor choice of a of a gift. All right? Because uh, you, when you get ready to give someone a gift, you give them what they want. You think, what do they want? When, what God wants from us is a connection. He wants to bring you out of the ordinary and the mundane, and he wants to bring you into a higher place. That means you got a desire to pray. You know, when we, when we first um, we were getting ready to talk about prayer, and it's difficult, you know, because you really need to be doing it in order to learn how to do it. You need to actually be doing it. You need to be applying. And we'll be getting the House of Prayer up and running. We'll be able to launch it, do a big launch, relaunch of the House of Prayer. Uh, until then, I just want to motivate you to want to pray. Do you know, Jesus' disciples were with him all that time, were watching all these miracles, and he never one time taught them how to pray. He just demonstrated how to pray. And finally, these Jewish boys said, Lord, John taught his disciples how to pray. What's up with you? Why don't you teach us? Then Jesus actually taught them how to pray. But what was important was they had a desire first. He didn't force it on them and say, everybody, you have to do this. He didn't want to be religious. He just did it, you know. It's like like trying to sell ice cream cones. You don't advertise. You just eat one in front of everybody. And everybody said, where'd you get that? Right? And and that's the idea with prayer. Jesus demonstrated what it was to have a life, of powerful prayer. And then he created a desire in the disciples. And finally they said, come on teach us. This is the attitude you have to have. you got to be be in an attitude like, "I, I don't know how to do it. Now, these Jewish boys knew how to pray, but they didn't know how to get the results that Jesus got. And they were thinking, I want that. And they wanted it bad enough to work at it, bad enough to listen to it. So when we hear the Lord's Prayer, it becomes something special because it is Jesus's teaching of how to pray. I imagine, I imagine and I assume it was not only Jesus' teaching, it was Jesus' practice of how he prayed. Because he wasn't teaching them something he didn't do. This is how he did it. And so he taught them, this is how I do it. How many you want to pray let Jesus pray? <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Because that's your key to greatness in your life, to God's purpose in your life, is learning to enter into a, a discipleship relationship with Jesus. discipleship relationship means this i'm going to take on his disciplines into my life and therefore become like him his discipline you can see his discipline because he taught he said well here's my prayer discipline you want it here it is now you're going to have to take it and do something with it you're going to have to begin to use it like he used it in order to see the results that he had let's go back to mark 11 uh, verse 22 so jesus answered and said to them have faith in god for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. That's powerful, right? In other words, he's saying this is what faith looks like. Now, this is a word. Next word is therefore. You need to understand what it's there for. In other words, this is about to explain what I just told you, or I'm about to tell you how to get what I just said. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, now say these three words with me, when you pray. Man, I need my glasses to see that. (laughs) There's three little words there. What does it say? When you pray. Say it with me again. When. There is a presupposition that in order to enter into faith, there must be a prayer life. There's a presupposition. He's saying that you're going to be able to speak to things, but you're going to have to develop this when you pray. So not if you pray or if you feel like praying. He's saying when you pray, he's going to tell you, I'm, you're going to develop this. Begin to believe that those things that you're asking for, you're going to have them and you're going to have them. So he says the classroom for uh, greatness with God is focusing like, i got I got to win in prayer. And now every every Christian comes to a place where they understand I'm not going any further with God until I become a man or a woman of prayer. I don't know if you're there yet. You might have to come there five or six times, but you gotta face, I can't keep putting off that part of being a Christian. I love to sing, I love church, I love being with my friends, I'm trying to do the right thing, that's all great. I turn on the Christian radio station, I listen to preachers, those are all great things. But ultimately, when it comes down to you, it's going to come down to this. Can you walk through that door? Because this is the door where you get to become like Jesus. And it's not an easy door or everybody would do it. And many people just say, well, just forget about that. God wants your life to be convenient. Not true. God wants you to be awesome. Awesome uh, results come from awesome effort in the spirit to say, I'm, I'm taking that thing. Like the, like the uh, children of Israel, I can take that land you got to look at that. Don't be afraid. Don't say, I can't do it. You can do it. Jesus would have taught it if, if you couldn't do it. You can do it, but you got to make up your mind. I'm facing that giant. I'm taking that land. I'm going to be a man or a woman of prayer. I don't care if you're spiritual or not. Just make up your mind. You're going to enter in that. So we're going to learn by desiring this thing. So uh, it's important that you define something in your mind, very simple, there is a way to pray. There is a way to pray. See, Some people say, you know what, there's no certain way to pray. You just pray, just do your thing. You just, well, it's not true. It's not in the Bible that way. All kinds of prayers in the Bible, but there's no prayer that says just pray your own way. Well, they were already praying their own way when Jesus taught them how to pray. So according to Jesus, according to Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Lord of your life, there is a way to pray, and here's how you do it. That should mean something to you right away because uh, apparently if you're not praying his way, you're not doing it the right way. I didn't say that. It's not a religion. It's just Jesus saying this is how you do it. So you have to make up your mind. I'm just going to do it the way Jesus said do it. I'm more likely to succeed than self-styling it and doing it my American way. Jesus taught this as a model of prayer. Let me... Uh, let, me, let me get this in your minds so you understand this prayer that we're going to read in a moment that all of you, I'm sure, know. This prayer is a, a Jewish form of teaching that is an outline. Now, outlines, if you're a preacher like me or you're a teacher, you understand outlines are important, right? They call it lesson plans, right? You have to have an outline or what will happen. Let's just get an expert up here. Come on up here, Jennifer. Since we're talking about you today, I need an expert opinion, but just make sure you say whatever I want you to say. <laughs> if you were at the marriage encounter, you know how this can go bad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're good, though. So Jennifer, what happens if a teacher, when you're training, what happens if they come in without a lesson plan, say two or three days in a row, what will happen? Uh, chaos. You won't know what to do, you won't be focused, and you probably won't accomplish a lot of things. So, will the kids take over? Uh, absolutely. So, are you saying that without an outline, then crazy thoughts and crazy things around you will take over your entire prayer life? Yes, absolutely. Because I'm just leading you, it's a leading question. Absolutely. It will. So, yes, absolutely. So, you recommend outlines? Very much. Do they teach it in school? Yes. Why, did, did they tell you any other any cool information? Why? Well, so that you can stay focused, so you can accomplish things. You have even, when you first start out teaching, you have a script. So the teacher says this, and then you anticipate what the student's going to say, then your next move. So, and then when you become more experienced, then you can kind of get rid of the script and just have an outline. Thank you. Let's give her a big hand. She's an expert master teacher it turns out Jesus was right wait it turns out Jesus was right that in order to pray effectively you have to have an outline or you're going your mind's going to drift everywhere and you're going to be sincere but ineffective I don't want to be a sincere failure how about you he was sincere but he failed I you know I don't want anybody on my football team that's a sincere failure he tried hard but he dropped the ball like that guy that missed the tackle this year you know what I'm talking about I love him and all but I'm still not over that like you're paid to tackle the boy. The fact that you were sincere in your miss that don't mean nothing to me. We all went home, and we're all still mad till next year, Williams. I didn't know his name till he missed that tackle, now I know him well. He's on my list. He has one more chance. But it is true that in life, that uh, it's not good enough to be a sincere failure, you need to be a sincere success. And to do that, you need to understand there are patterns that you need to respect. And if you respect those patterns, you'll be a success. Whether you're working out or whether you're teaching in school, it's hundreds of years, a tried and true reality. Human beings' minds don't stay on track without an outline. It's just the way it is. You will meander, wonder, and prayer needs to be free, but it needs to be free in an outline. So it is not as if Jesus is telling you every word, like giving you a script. He's not going to tell you every word, but he's going to give you the, 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 uh, the, the highlights, and then you can fill in the blank. So you're still free in the Holy Spirit. You can pray in the Holy Spirit. You can pray in the understanding, but you need to be moving forward. Prayer is God's secret to bring you into your purpose. Every part of prayer is God saying, I'm going to teach you to pray in a way that will protect your purpose so you don't live your life and be a sincere failure. So you don't live your life and say, at least I tried hard. Well, you live your life and say, I hit the mark. I did the thing I was called to do. There's no other way to do it except for Jesus is going to give you the secrets of moving from glory to glory, victory to victory, and faith to faith. It's all found in this time that you have with God. So don't be intimidated. You were born to live this way. This is part of your model. This is the way God made you. So let's read it in Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Oh, I love that. In this manner, therefore, pray. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And to not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, there are basically six steps or six movements in this prayer. And I want you to write down so you can take this home with you. You know this by heart probably. If you don't, it's very easy to learn. But I want you to, I, I, I have a little acrostic I don't know if it's called alliteration or acrostic, but it's the words pray up. Alright, say it with me. Pray up. Okay, I'm gonna give you those six steps in the letters pray up. Six steps of powerful prayer. Number one is this. I'm just gonna give them to you, and then we'll start preaching about them in the next couple of weeks. Praising his name. Number one, praising his name. Number two, releasing faith. Number three. Anointing for today. Number four, yielding offenses. Number five, uncovering the enemy plans. The enemy's plans should have an IES on there. No, uncovering enemy plans. That's right. Passion and last passion for His glory. So when you, the outline is simply pray up, pray up. What was the first one again? All I'll go over them again. Okay, you didn't learn that quick. What's wrong with you? Okay, number one, praising his name. P, praising his name. R, releasing your faith. A, anointing for today. Y, yielding offenses. U, uncovering enemy plans. And P, passion for his glory. It's interesting that Jesus worked for six days and rested on the seventh day, because prayer is set up that way. It's, pra- it's set up to pray for six days, and if you need to, you just pray each category each day, and then on the seventh day, rest, go to church, learn, worship, and then start your prayer. You can, if you if you have a, a five minutes to pray, you can say, you know what, today I'm just going to praise His name, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now today I'm going to just touch as, as let, let someone come and come and play because. I want to touch on the first one before we go because it's, I'm trying to get finished earlier because I want all of you to go to lunch early and brag to everybody else like, oh, your church got out that late. I got out early. <laughs> you still go to one of them 12 o'clock churches? Uh, I was 12, 1145, we were out. <laughs> That's not really my reason, but go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, we we'll try to finish a little bit earlier. So... Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about praising his name and then we're going to pray and go home today but I love this because the Bible says we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise doesn't it say that? Psalms it says we enter his gates with thanksgiving so it's important most of the time when you get ready to pray your mind is like in rebellion like I ain't doing it I ain't doing it I'm tired I'm in a bad mood I don't feel like it you can't feed me enough coffee to make me pray because it's true. I mean, you might have one of those great days where you're popping and, uh, but you're wanting to get stuff done. Your mind is already at work or, you know, you got to clean up and there's things going on. And then you're sitting like, i got to take some time to pray. And so when you kind of, you just kind of discipline yourself into it. See, you have to go from, uh, dis- from discipline, let's just say from drudgery through discipline to delight. From drudgery through discipline to delight. Everything good in your life works that way. From drudgery, like I'm just going to do it, to discipline, to delight. That's how coming to church, you know. Church was a drudgery as long as you don't want to do it. But then suddenly you're like, I've been doing it now, I wouldn't miss. Well, that's how it is, like working out. You go from drudgery to dis, through discipline to delight till you just love doing it. That's how prayer is. So to enjoy it, you need to understand the first part is to kind of get, the, get you oiled up. Now we're going to learn next week, we'll, on praising His name, we're going to learn... The Hebrew name, some of you already know them, but some of you know some of them, for God. To praise His name. You've heard that in a worship song. Praise His name. What does it mean? Praise His name. It is His name is Him. It is His characteristics. His characteristics. It is, it's His attributes. And when you begin to declare who He is, you are declaring the end from the beginning. Here's what I mean. When you say Jehovah Rapha, you are Jehovah Rapha. Those Jehovah names are hyphenated names of God and from the Old Testament, and they basically indicate God's willingness to act on behalf of his people. So whenever you hear Jehovah Jireh, it's not that God is a provider, it's that God is your provider, and that God will see to your situation. And so when you start, you need to use the words, thank you, Lord, because we're entering with Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Let's just use Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, out of all of you heard it in the song. But it actually comes from when Abraham brings Isaac up to the mountain to offer him as an offering. And there he gets ready to offer Isaac. And God said, the angel said, don't touch that boy. And then there was a ram caught in the thicket. And the Bible says they called that place Jehovah-Jireh because the Lord didn't make you pay the high price. He provided for himself an offering. It means the Lord who will see to it. So when you say, Lord, thank you, just try it with me. Say, Lord, thank you. You are Jehovah-Jireh. You are the Lord who provides. You are the Lord who sees to it. Thank you. You are my Jehovah-Jireh. Now, see, right now, even when I don't feel good, I can say that and start, it's, it starts bringing me to a different place emotionally. I start getting to a different mental. I'm not in a drudgery. I'm, you know what? If all I can do today is I'm just going to praise his name. I just want to go through what those names are. And then next week we'll talk about the name of Jesus, how it encases all of these things. But Jehovah Rapha, what does it mean? It means the Lord who heals. It comes from the passage of Scripture where the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, and they're so thirsty, they come to a pool of water. It's called Mirabah, which means bitter, and they drank this bitter water, and they were like, like, oh man, they were so disappointed. And God told Moses, take the stick and throw it into the water. And when he took the stick and threw it into the water, the water became sweet again. And they called this place Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. Meaning God can take all the bitter things in your life. He can put the cross in it. And when the cross touches those bitter places, it's going to become sweet again. God's going to cause you to be taken care of emotionally because of the cross. And when you begin to go through it, you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean? Jehovah Rapha, I mean, uh, Rohi. Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. Thank you, Lord. You're the Lord, my shepherd. You know what it says in Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my pastor, I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup is overflowing surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever come on, can you give him praise everybody (laughs) see when you begin to declare the names of God you're declaring the answer to your prayer before you pray it if you're asking for healing he is jehovah rapha and when you said lord thank you you are the lord that heals i already got the answer before i even asked before i even asked for god to help me with my house note this month i already said you're jehovah jireh the lord who provides i already declared i already prophesied the answer Woo. isn't that wonderful Come on, let's let's to close today. Won't you stand up? And we're going to sing that Jesus, Jesus song as a closing. I know that's not the name of it, but, you know, they give older people like a little license on stuff like that. Like your grandkids. Like, what is your name again? I know your name. I know you. You're my grandchild. <laughs> Come on. You know what? Why don't we just do that right now? We just lift your hands and let's just praise his name. You know, what's in the Ten Commandments. It says, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. In other words, don't leave this out because when you honor his name, you're honoring him. Remember, it's who he is. It's not just God somewhere. It's God our healer it's God our righteousness, it's God our deliverer, it's God our sanctifier, it's God our victory, it's God our provider, he's not just God in general, he's God specific, he's God that knows about all your needs and he's already determined to answer what those things are, he's already decided to hold you and uphold you and change your situation because it is who he is, the Bible says he cannot, he, he, when we are not faithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He can't be anything other than a healer because he is. He can't be anything other than a provider because He is. He is the I am. I am what you need. I am your healer. I am your deliverer. I am your provider. I am your strength. I am your help. I am your joy. I am your peace. I am that I am, Jesus said.